Hey, I know you're probably driving or running or cleaning the house or doing something else when you're listening to this, but look, if you're a B2B marketer and you need to start generating revenue from your marketing, then you have to check out our 12-week program, the B2B Incubator. It's built for small, in-house B2B marketing teams with limited time and budget. We give you the strategy, the templates, and the tools to start driving revenue, not just leads. So if you're ready to act on all the advice Kevin and I give you, next time you take that first sip of coffee in the morning, make sure you head to the B2B Incubator and apply now. There's only 10 spots available per cohort with our next one launching at the end of May, 2024. Remember, the B2B Incubator, apply now so you don't miss out. We've had B2B marketing managers, CMOs, marketers in demand generals, content leads, and more all go through this program and they're currently executing the demand strategies that they've created. Some are now even contributing as much as 80% of the pipeline to their business after working through it. Make sure you check out the b2bincubator.com and apply now to start driving more demand and more revenue for your brand. Okay, let's get on with the show. Welcome to the B2B Playbook Podcast. Each week, we discuss strategies and tactics to help B2B businesses grow online. We're your hosts, Kevin and George, a couple of digital marketing professionals. We've waded through the noise and made the mistakes so you don't have to. The B2B world has changed and you need to put your customers at the heart of your marketing. We'll cover how you can use our framework, the five Bs, to create a brand that customers are ready to buy from, love and advocate for. We'll get insights from successful people in the industry and cover the latest trends to keep you on the cutting edge of the B2B world. If you're interested in B2B marketing strategies and tactics that work, then this podcast is for you. Subscribe to get the latest from the B2B playbook first. Remember, successful B2B marketing starts with the buyer. Welcome back to the B2B Playbook. Listeners and viewers, this week's interview is with Sam Dunning. Sam is the founder of Breaking B2B, where they specialize in B2B SEO and web design that's built for revenue, not vanity. He's also the host of the Breaking B2B podcast. SEO is something we haven't directly touched on that much in the show, and we think it's best to get an expert in to discuss it, because for us, a lot of what we end up doing with the 5Bs framework naturally leads to good SEO practices on the content side. Still, there's plenty of basics to get right on the technical side and the strategic side when it comes to SEO. And I think now is the perfect opportunity to have Sam on the show and talk about all things B2B SEO. Now that our listeners are a bit more familiar with our framework, it's then the perfect time for them to have a look at how good SEO fits into this framework and how, again, it really aligns with all the things that we've been talking about. And you can see for yourself, listeners, exactly why the 5 Beast framework has that good SEO practice baked into it. And even though a lot of what you hear in the industry seems to focus away from the basics of customer-centered marketing, especially in the SEO space, in fact, if SEO is done right, it is the same thing that matters. It's that customer-centered marketing. It's that customer-focused feedback, focusing on what really matters to the customers at the end of the day. That makes SEO good as well. So listeners, here's that conversation with Sam. 
Welcome back to the B2B Playbook. Listeners, as you know, we rarely have guests on our show. Instead, we select a few true experts who align with our view that B2B marketing is more about people, not platforms. Today, our special guest is Sam Dunning. Sam is the founder of Breaking B2B, where they specialize in B2B SEO and web design that's built for revenue, not vanity. He's also the host of the excellent Breaking B2B podcast. Go and check it out. We know that an SEO expert has been well overdue on this podcast, and Sam has the kind of no-nonsense approach that we love here at the B2B Playbook. I'm very excited to dig into his frameworks and practical tips. Sam, you are our first and only SEO expert. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, God. I hope your audience is ready. George, thanks for having me, man. Looking forward to it. Excited to chat. Yeah, look, I want to kick it off on a positive note, but we're actually going to flip it around and start with the negative. Look, okay. Sam, you hear so few positive stories around SEO, both from companies that try and do it in-house and also those that outsource it to agencies. My question to you is, where are companies really going wrong when it comes to SEO? Yeah, there's many ways, but keeping it B2B focused, there's a bunch that I see, George, from a day to day when it comes to nailing B2B SEO and some of the most frustrating mistakes that cost businesses qualified leads and revenue with their organic search strategy. So probably the main culprit is wasting time. And what I mean by that is so many B2B companies think SEO is just chucking blogs on their website, making a ton of articles, and then that in turn is going to drive traffic, which is going to drive pipeline, aka dem requests or qualified sales calls, depending on their B2B company setup. But it just doesn't work like that. So many companies will either hire content writers, hire SEOs, or get a bunch of resource in-house, whether that's their marketing team, content team, whoever, throw up all these articles on their website, and then weeks, months, years later, realize that they might be driving a little bit of traffic, but they're not driving qualified opportunities. So what they're doing is they're starting what we we call top of the funnel SEO, kind of more of an awareness play, when really they should be going as a bottom-up approach. So starting with prospects that have a need for your offer, have the problem you fix, are actively in market and searching for solutions like yours. And you shouldn't even touch blog articles for the first couple months at least of your SEO strategy. So that is the, that's the met number one mistake, but that there is others. We had Lachey Lewis on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and uh, she said something very similar. She's totally dedicated to creating bottom of funnel content. And that's absolutely where people should start. I guess I would love to know from the listener's point of view, if they're tackling that bottom of funnel content first, and if they're doing all the things that you're going to tell them to do in this episode, what can a company expect from great SEO? Is it just about getting more traffic or what are we actually really looking for? Yeah, so every business is going to be slightly different depending on where you're at, i.e. if you're a low ticket SaaS solution, maybe even your PLG product-led growth and you're more focused on free signups, then you're probably going to see a truckload more impact in the sense that signups and demo requests and that kind of stuff. Whereas if you're more high ticket, be it software sales, or more of a customized service delivery, then naturally, you're probably not going to get quite as many leads as compared to the other end of the scale. But every business we we want to help, we want to work with, we, we want to see bottom line revenue impacted. So yes, we want to drive qualified leads and pipeline. But as a result of that, when you talk about all the time, George, B2B is far from linear. 
it's quite rare that someone searches for your offer or variation of what you do or the problem you fix. And the first time they ever see your website, they're going to click through and book that demo. There's so much more that impacts it. So the good thing about SEO is you can be part of that B2B journey. You can show up, you can make that impression, you can build that mind share, you can start building trust and confidence with your audience. So yeah, they might flick onto your page, then they might flick off, then they might get retargeted with LinkedIn ads, then they might speak to their execs, then they might come back to your website, then they might listen to your podcast, then they might search for you again. So as you know, it's uh, B2B's messed up, but SEO is one piece of the puzzle. It's an attribution nightmare and everyone's trying to figure it out and people are spending big dollars to figure it out. I want to go into a little bit later some of the metrics that people can track to see is our SEO working? Are we going to expect to see some results from it soon? But before we get there, I still want to just stay a little high level and Mm -hmm. just say, look, if our listeners do implement a good SEO strategy, when is the right time for a business to really start to invest in it? When do we really want to start dedicating resources to it? It's a tricky one, right? And I'm probably one of those weird guys that actually tries to steer a lot of B2B businesses away from SEO because it does need some resource, or if you don't have that resource in-house, it needs some cash to spend either with content writers, developers, or even an SEO company or agency. So certainly, if you're early stage B2B business and you're not funded, be it a service or software company, many times, if you don't have the resource to pump into creating good content, updating your website, and doing all this stuff we're gonna talk about, I'd probably steer you away. Quite often I say, look, if you're a small business and you're bootstrapped, get up an MVP website, that clearly shares what you do, problem you fix, how you help, proof of results, and easy way to get in touch. Start building your business. Start getting some revenue first. Don't worry about SEO. Use your network to, to get some cash in the bank. Don't even think about SEO until you've got some recurring revenue flowing. However, if you're a bit later stage and you are in a category that's got some demand, so what I mean by that is you are in a sector that is known, i.e. people have the problem you fix, people are aware there's a solution to fix it, you've got some cash to spend with a company or you've got some resource in-house to make it happen, then yes, SEO makes sense as long as your team understand how it works and realizes that it's not a click your fingers, get a ton of leads. It's not a paid advertising play. There's a bit more to it than that, but we can dive into some of those advantages. So it's not always the best match depending on where your business is at. That makes a lot of sense to me. When we shared our framework quite recently, Someone commented and they said, hey, I noticed that you don't have SEO in your own framework for demand generation. We listed the three major stages in our framework that we think a business should go to at very high level. Initially, it's all about deeply understanding who your best customers are, doing everything you can to document who their ICP is and where they hang out and who influences them, all that kind of stuff. The second stage is then how do we build relationships with them? And helpful content is a really key component to that. And then the third stage is like, how do we amplify all that? How do we make it go faster? And that's really where we look at how do we then distribute that? To me, SEO fits in that third stage of it's almost like a, a dist- another distribution channel that is at a business's disposal. Would you say that's fair? Mostly, yeah. There's a few nuances to it. You're right. SEO, when done best, certainly in the B2B space, is a demand capture channel. You've got prospects that already know they have a problem or they're already at that tipping point where they realize this issue has got so frustrating, I need to get a solution to fix it, whether that's a piece of software or service. So they've searched on Google best X software or solution for this or something similar. 
And then on the basis, your website shows up top, they're going to click through and, and perhaps book a demo or book a sales call. That's where SEO is best for driving revenue. But if you're going earlier in the funnel, that's where it can be as a bit of an argument that it's more of a demand gen, demand creation play, i.e. people are searching for how to get jobs done. People are searching for frustrations around the problem you fix. They're asking questions specifically around your niche and your offer, but they're not quite ready to buy. And that's where they might go to a, an in-depth, long-form article that kind of talks about those problems. They probably aren't going to buy now, but they might subscribe to your newsletter. They might then dive in and check out your podcast or check out your YouTube channel, and then you'll continue to educate them, entertain them, etc. So that's where I'd argue there's a bit of a demand creation, a bit of a demand gen play with SEO. But SEO at its best, best is capturing prospects ready to speak to sales. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. That makes sense. You mentioned jobs to be done. And I've seen you say before that marketers, whoever's doing SEO, should consider the jobs to be done framework. But I haven't heard a lot of people talk about it in terms of why that's really important for SEO. Would you mind running us through first what the jobs to be done framework is and then how you can use it to drive your SEO? All right, folks, quick breather here. In my time in B2B marketing, generally I've come to realize that there are just certain tools that can be an absolute game changer. And that's why I'm really excited to talk about Leadfeeder. Uh, it's a tool that helps you cut through the data and turn those website visitors into solid leads and opportunities for your business. Leadfeeder shows you which companies are checking out your site, tracking their behavior, and it integrates all of this with your CRM. And the result is it's basically like a secret weapon for targeted lead engagement, and it really makes it easier for your team to convert website traffic into sales. Head to leadfeeder.com, give it a free demo, and you'll also get a free extended premium trial when you let the rep know that you found out about Leadfeeder through the B2B Playbook podcast. That's leadfeeder.com. Okay, check it out. Back to the show. It's essentially jobs to be done is, I think it's Bob Moster that invented it, but it's basically a framework of how is your prospect getting a certain task or job done today? And what is the thing that's getting in their way or the tipping point of when they realize that how they're doing this process today isn't perhaps as good as it could be or they've met a frustration that's a bump in the road where they realize there's actually a better way that I could be doing this. It's maybe in, in business sense, it's costing me a bit of revenue. It's costing me overheads. We're costing time. We're losing resources, whatever that could be from a business perspective. But let me give you a kind of tangible example. So one I used on a post I did on LinkedIn the other day could be, let's say, maybe you've got an outsourced sales team. You've got a BDR team or your SDR team. And maybe they, they haven't realized yet that the power dialers exist. So they're using their mobile phones. They're searching for contact records. And they're thinking, this is a really slow, cumbersome process. I'm trying to get all these contact details. Each one I've got to manually dial. So they, they maybe think this has got to the point where it's costing us time. We're not hitting our numbers. We're not having enough qualified conversations. There must be a better way. So in that case, they might search for Google for so something like, how to dial mobile number or how to dial numbers quicker with my mobile or something like that, how to have more qualified conversations with my mobile or cell phones. They search that, your article comes up and it says, what you can do is you can buy a list from a data provider, et cetera, but this is how our solution is placed to fix that. We actually offer something called power dialer. This is where you can connect to the power dialer, 
chuck in your CSV file full of a thousand records and you can dial 300 numbers in an hour. So what I'm saying is jobs to be done is all about someone gets a process done a certain way today. They reach a tipping point where it becomes frustrating. It stops them from making progress. And that's when they realize that they need to find out a solution. And that tipping point could be anything. It could be hemorrhaging revenue. It could be they're just getting frustrated at work. It could be their jobs on the line. It could be their staff's on the line, whatever. And that's where customer interviews come into play because you need to speak to target prospects, existing customers you've recently sold to or onboarded and understand why it was that they chose you or what terrible thing happened at that tipping point where they realized I can't continue as I am. I need to do something about this. And that's why they chose you. So understanding kind of those juicy frustrations, those juicy problems in your client's world and realizing what that tipping point is or where they stop making progress. If you can nail that super useful when it comes to creating not just blog articles or website pages, but content in general, because leveraging juicy problems like that is super impactful because problems resonate so much more than features or benefits. People hate to have negative things happen to them. It makes them anxious. So if you can resonate with those anxious feelings and say, look, are you, in my case, kind of juicy problems, are you tired of seeing competitors ahead of you in organic search, stealing traffic and inbound opportunity, or you're frustrated that your website is failing to generate a steady flow of qualified leads? If you know those problems inside out, you can leverage them on your ads, website copy, blog articles, and address your offer as the solution to fix those kind of bleeding neck problems. That's where job to be done kind of works really well. So it sounds like a great framework for like putting yourself in the customer's shoes and trying to find those who are what we would call like problem aware or maybe even solution aware. Like with the problem aware, you're starting to Google questions around the issues that they're having and that's what you want to service and then tie them into solutions as well and lead them down that, that garden path. Yeah, because it all shows that you understand your target prospect, your target ideal customer profile, and you understand their world, and you understand where they typically, from your experience, stop making progress. And then you can basically say, we know why this is happening. This is one way of doing it, but our solutions are far way, a far better way of feeling the impact of that frustration you're right now. So in the cold calling teams situation, manually dialing mobiles or dialing cell phones, look, get a power dialer, literally going to 5x your productivity you're going to be less stressed you're going to you can have more impact you can have more qualified conversations and then this is our software this is a free way to sign up and just producing that but jobs to be done is great for evergreen content searchable content probably youtube videos too articles but it's, it's still quite top funnel so i still wouldn't encourage doing that as one of your first seo activities i'd encourage doing it but i'd probably do it a little bit later along the line once you've got that bottom of funnel stuff all nailed. And look, that's the reason why I think you're such a great fit to come on as our SEO expert, because I suppose some of the frameworks that we use are really the same. And it starts with the customer, not the platform itself. And what's interesting, I think, is so far in this conversation, we've been talking about SEO for 15 minutes already. I haven't once heard you say anything about looking at keyword volume, or getting tons of traffic or using tools like AREFs and maybe we're going to get there. But uh, yeah, do you have a comment on that as to why we haven't started there? I'm not that bothered about software and tools these days. 
because what you'll find is a lot of tools, SEMrush, Hrefs, I've done work with Hrefs, right? They've partnered with me on content and all kinds of stuff. And they're great tools. But one thing you've got to remember about a lot of SEO software, especially in the B2B tech and service space, is they're working on historical data. So they're working on what people have searched in the past. So one thing SEOs and marketers in general can get too hung up on is what have people searched for previously, not what are they searching for now. And there's something we can dive into as well, which is really cool in B2B is something called zero traffic searches, where these tools like Hrefs, SEMrush, et cetera, will show a query, a keyword as zero volume. But if it's something that a prospect is often asking you for on prospecting calls, sales calls, customer service calls, it's a problem they're commonly bringing up or it's an offer they're constantly asking for or it's a question they're constantly bringing to the table. If that's constantly coming up, you create content on that. There's going to be a little bit of demand. There's going to be not much competition. So when someone searches for that keyword on Google and sees your article, your solution page, you've basically got a free lead because there's so few competitors in that, that zero keyword space. And if it's a crisp, specific question, offer, objection that's being raised all the time, other people are going to be searching for it. And if you can nail those, it's almost like a gold mine to getting qualified leads. Oh, I love that. Okay. What marketers, they need to have a regular process of mining those insights from sales and from the customer themselves directly, right? This isn't really stuff that's probably going to show up in any search reports in Google Search Console at all. Is that right? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it might show up, say, a few months down the line. For yourself, if you're sitting on, whether it's sales calls, CS calls, customer calls, and they're constantly bringing up a certain question, certain objection, or asking for something, there's demand because you're hearing it day to day or week to week. So building an asset out that directly addresses that. So for example, a while back, I built something called the, the B2B SaaS SEO playbook. No one else had that resource, but we were getting asked all these questions. So I thought I built a super long form article with that and all those questions entailed in this long form page. And initially it had zero traffic, but over the few months it built up to 20, 30 or so searches a month. But that alone was not only useful because it could address some of those questions and it could get generate us a few leads, but also as a useful resource for sales. So whenever someone has that question, it helps with sales enablement because they can just ping that article across. We embedded a YouTube video in it, which literally had that full B2B SaaS SEO process from start to delivery to finish. So not only the, the good SEO resources, not just go by the typical traditional way of doing keyword research, but they target kind of juicy search terms that might have low competition, but generate decent leads, but also useful assets for your sales team to share with prospects rather than endlessly sending PDFs that might end up in the spam folder. And I suppose because you've built this content with the mentality of let's just build something helpful that we know people are asking for. When people do come across it, it's going to have so much more impact. I feel like in many cases, the SEO team is just totally separate to the the team that's gathering customer insights that's different to the content team and i feel like everyone should be aligned around what are the customer what does the customer want from us how can we best help them how can we really deliver something that really answers their questions and leads them to that next step rather mm. than hey seo like how are we going for these rankings are we getting more or less traffic yeah and there are old school tips that I can share with you on how you can rank pages, which a lot of SEOs will share, like skyscraper technique and various other things. But 
like you mentioned there, these days, Google is gearing more and more towards the content that you put out, whether that's a service page, a feature page, an offer page, an alternatives page, and a blog article, whatever. They want it to hit something called EEAT, Experience, Expertise, Authority, Trust. They want to show that it's helpful content, that it educates the prospect, causes, makes them actually stay on your page for a decent amount of time and gives them the information they're looking for ultimately in the best possible way. So that's why if you understand what prospects, customers are asking for on calls, you understand their kind of bleeding net problems, you understand their jobs to be done, what's stopping them from making progress, you understand the impact in the impact of them not solving that problem. And then you position your offer in a way that's a no brainer that says, look, this is how we can stop all these issues. You back that up with social proof, testimonials, review videos, all that good stuff, and you guide them to take the next step with clear call to actions. If you're doing that, then you'll struggle not to rank pages if you do it right. Yes, there's some nuances. And if you're going after CRM, trying to compete with HubSpot and Salesforce, you're on a, a, a worrying road. But that aside, for more specific and niche industries, that's going to work pretty well. Can you take us further into that EEAT framework, just so people can understand a bit more about it and I guess what each of those letters stands for and how they can then implement that on each piece of content they put together? So I'll give you an example. So at my last company that I exited, WebChoice, basically, and I'm building this out now for BreakingB2B.com. So EAT, Experience, Expertise, Authority, Trust, it's all about showing that whoever's putting together these pages of content on your website has direct experience and expertise in the topic. So you're not getting some random writer and sending them a few bullet points saying, look, write this page on these topics. It's got to be a thousand words and it's got to rank number one. Because that probably won't work unless you've got like, minimal competitors so a good way of doing this like going back to something that's tactical and actionable let's say bottom of the funnel let's say one of the first things you want to do when you're building out your seo for your website is get as niche and specific as possible so you want to make out a list of what are the main offers or services you want leads for what your high ticket offers and then what are the main industries that are the main icp the main idle client profile that you want to hit so to give you an actionable example, I've built out pages like SEO for B2B SaaS companies, SEO for fintech companies, B2B web design, all that kind of stuff. So literally the service plus the industry. So then what you want to do in terms of these are solution pages, right? If someone's typing in our case, B2B SEO company, in your case, maybe, I don't know how to build a B2B playbook or something that's relevant to your offer. They're typing it not because they're bored. They're typing it because they probably want help with that offer. So it's your job to make a best in class page. And if you want to hit EAT, my typical framework is start with kind of the problem. What's the frustration that your prospects are facing right now around this offer? What's the impact of not solving it? What's the solution? So what's the step-by-step -step of you kind of fixing this offer? How do you do it from initial research to process to delivery to account management to execution, whatever's relevant in your world? Have some social proofs, have some nice customer review testimonials with their picture and summary of how you helped. Maybe have some video recommendations etc. If it's an offer page or a solution page, share your pricing, show transparency and actually gives people what they want to see. And then also, which is a bit of a gem is build out an FAQ section on that page. And this works a treat for solution pages, feature pages, alternative pages and more. And relevant to that offer. So in my case, if I built out my solution for industry page, which might be SEO for B2B SaaS companies, I have an FAQ section at the bottom of that page which quite literally addresses questions we got on sales calls, like why are you guys so expensive? 
isn't investing Google ads faster? Why does SEO take so long? Literally these questions that I get, I address head on. So yeah, having an FAQ section is not only good to help you rank for SEO, it shows hands on expertise because you're literally bringing up objections and questions you get every day. And it reduces buyer anxiety because these prospects are going to ask you these questions on sales calls. Why not hit them head on your pages? So then it's going to save you stress, going to qualify out tire kickers, and even again, gives your sales team a useful resource to point people to. So when it comes to, is it either expertise or authority? I'm not sure which one this would fall in. Will Google then look to see, oh, Breaking B2B has a whole lot of content around B2B SEO. So they must be an expert in that. Is that how they judge it? Do they go through and look that you, Sam, are behind this as well and that you're the author of some of these pages? Like, How far down does this look? It's hard to say. I can't answer that indefinitely. It does help if you, like you say, if you, with what you can with article and solution pages, you can say that you can put a little image of yourself and said written by author, Sam Dunning or whoever built it out. You can do that stuff. There is a few nuances. The reason I say build out niche offer and then industry pages initially from a B2B service company perspective is because there's less competition. So ultimately with SEO, you want to go bottom of the funnel, attracting prospects ready to buy now, and you want to go in a least competitive space possible. So that's why if you pick solution plus industry, most of the time, that's less competitive. Now, if you're in SaaS, you might do that, but you might also do alternatives, i.e. if you're selling proposal software, you might look at terms like Proposify alternatives or some of the other software alternatives because prospects that are looking for alternatives to competitors are normally quite high intent and looking for maybe a better deal. Now, with that said, how are you addressing experience? How are you addressing authority? What does Google look out for? No one truly knows all the signals. And the reason I say get as specific as possible with your offers on the bottom of the funnel is because there's less competition and your website needs less authority. So for example, I've recently fired up this business, breakingb2b.com. We've got like a domain authority of eight because the website's only been live two, two or three weeks, but I've already built out maybe 20, 30 pages doing an exact process and some of them already ranking. So that shows that kind of going niche and specific as possible, even with a low domain authority like myself, because I've only got about 12 or 14 backlinks at the time of recording this, is worthwhile. Once you get more competitive, George, once you get into more generic terms so rather than solution plus industry or alternative keywords, et cetera, when you go generic, like I don't know, CRM software, proposal software, SEO agency, whatever is the generic term around your offer, then it's going to be a lot more competitive. And that's when having a website with a lot of authority and solid backlinks in play is going to be in your favor. Because if you start building out pages that you want to rank for those generic keywords, it's just not going to happen unless you've got some decent authority and some decent links built up. But starting with niche, long-form solution pages, offer pages, alternative pages, service pages is a smart way to go because quite often you can get those ranked a lot faster when you follow those best practices around matching EEAT. So that's a great advice on where to start. And I guess people should combine that with other lower funnel, high intent content as well to try and capture any existing demand out there. And then do you just recommend people work their way up the funnel beyond that? Mm, Exactly. Literally get with your team. And one of the first exercises you want to do is just list out like what are our main offers that we want to get leads for? What are the main services we want to be working with? Let's list out every single opportunity there and make sure we've got pages around all those offers that are best in class that do all those things we talked about. 
show clear examples, expertise, social proof, call to actions, and show that we are the subject matter expert with FAQs, etc. Build all of those out, exhaust that fully. That's going to take you a couple months, I'd imagine, at least depending on the size of your team. Then you might, if you're in software, you might want to look at like alternatives pages and versus pages and that kind of stuff. Only once you've exhausted all of that stuff should you then start working up the funnel. And then, yes, that's when you might start doing some jobs to be done content around how to do this and that kind of stuff. But the thing to bear in mind is it's not just how to do, like in our case, how to build a B2B website. It's more specific. So it's literally going for that job to be done, i.e. in the BDR, the SDR team, to how to get more connects with a mobile mobile phone in faster time so it's very specific to that problem and that issue and that stumbling block that's why the customer calls are going to be useful because it's going to give you that that clear example of what that frustration is whereas if you're just doing how to do i don't know how to build a website or something very simple the chances are when google roll out their ai when google roll out search generative experience that article will just be smashed by an ai answer but when you get specific to jobs to be done then that's going to help you because you're it's more specific, it's more nuanced to your niche, it's more authoritative to your industry. Does that make sense? Yeah, I love this. This is just contrary to, I think, what so many other SEO experts out there will say to you. And I just love how customer-led your approach is. And I know you do mix it in with the technical side as well. And before we dive into the technical side, I want to get back to the, the backlinking side. You mentioned that you've already accumulated 14 or so backlinks for your very new website. How important are backlinks still? Are they a really important factor? Is there a golden number that you need to get to? How do you assess that? <laughs> this is the tricky part, right? So this is why everything I'm trying to give tactical advice on from going as niche and specific as possible is good because then you can usually get some quick wins with rankings, but you'll hit a plateau where if you don't have links and you don't have authority behind your website, you're just not going to rank for those more competitive keywords. So that's when it becomes, when you start going to more generic, higher traffic search terms, that's when you're going to need them. In my case, there's a few, I can give you some ways to build links, which certainly not going to break the bank. One of the best ones, which is probably relevant for B2B marketers or founders, is guesting on podcasts like we're doing now. One of my hacks for doing that is go onto a website called chartable.com. That's chartable.com. Go filter it via charts. So choose whatever sector you're in, marketing, business, construction, whatever, and then filter it to your country or your target country and then Apple Podcast. Then you can see a list of the top 50, top 100 or so podcasts in your niche. Look at the ones that are accepting guests. Find out who the host is. Drop, Connect with them on LinkedIn, but don't do a generic 10-paragraph email. Send them a painfully short LinkedIn connection request. So something like, hey, Steve, well, hey, Jess, loved your recent episode on XYZ. I've got some insights on this topic. Would you be against a conversation around it? Something painfully short that opens the curiosity gap. They're not quite sure what you're talking about and opens dialogue for a question. I'm able to leverage a bit more because I've got a top 10 B2B marketing podcast. So I can just drop that and say you're against a convo and it usually works. But in your case, pick something they've recently talked about and then ask if they're open to a conversation or against it. Do that to each day, say, let's do five or so, 10 10 or so connects from that chartable list in your niche. And then, yeah, get on their show. Obviously, give a valuable episode that's actionable. And then at the end of it, ask them to give a link back to your website 
to one of your target keywords or one of your target pages, that's going to slowly build up some decent backlinks because you can get on some decent shows. Another way to build links is to do a partnership prop. So find out, you've probably got some of these already, right? So in our case, B2B SEO and websites, we partner with LinkedIn ads agencies, CRM agencies, et cetera, who are industries, agencies, companies that are not direct competitors, but go after the same customers. So you probably know these already. I can tell you ours, but you might have some right, George, that you can link out to. I'm guessing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, complimentary businesses that we refer people to or that we work closely with or will recommend. And I'm sure there are people who would absolutely be open to doing this to help each other out, right? Everyone playing the game together, helping each other win. Yeah, exactly. So just take 10 minutes to think out, like, who's going after the same audience but not a direct competitor? If you're not connected to them already on LinkedIn or elsewhere, then start reaching out. So again, a couple of these a day is all you need to do. And it's almost a no-brainer for them because I usually pitch it as let's build content together. So let's either build, I don't know, a podcast or YouTube video, maybe do a blog article, maybe do a guide, build that content asset together, maybe one article for your site, one article for theirs, make it useful, make it around a similar topic that's around maybe a jobs to be done question, whatever, put a link back to each other's site, then you've got a free backlink. But long-term, partnerships are valuable because not only that, but they can start sending you customers. So if they have prospects that need your offer, they send it to you. Likewise, you send it to them and all that kind of good stuff. So partnerships are really good B2B business play in general to build up revenue at zero cost, but also to build up content assets and acquire backlinks. That Those two are probably two of the best. The other ones are getting a bit more technical or a bit shady where it comes to, not that buying backlinks is shady because everyone does it. They just don't, they, they just say they don't. So there's plenty of sites where you can buy links from. Some are good, some are not so good. And you can also just create content that's so good that people link to it. So when you start doing your own rate research, i.e. you do an article that's super long form on a dedicated topic, let's say it was around, I don't know, let's say I did something on how to reduce B2B SaaS website bounce rates, but I got unique insights because I interviewed like a thousand B2B SaaS company CMOs and I got all these stats, put together a super long form article, I put together some statistics charts, I put together a video walkthrough, and then people just naturally started linking to it because this asset was so amazing. It was like the only one of its class. People would search for it, find it, and just start linking out to it. So that's another way. Those are a few ways you can build links that won't break the bank. And that's the last one. That's probably the most future-proof way as well, I'm guessing, because the <laughs> content is just so damn good. It, yeah. The cream has to rise to the top. That's awesome. And I love those suggestions, those really practical tips on how to get backlinks. And again, ultimately, it, just comes, it all comes back down to people by finding the other person who's in charge of partnerships or content marketing, whatever it is in that other business. You're just trying to make each other's lives easier. You're just trying to help each other do your jobs better, meet each other's KPIs. And so it all just comes back down to people. And that's why I really, really love that approach. You've spoken about a, a little bit about the technical side. Is there anything else worth mentioning on the technical side that you see really makes a difference when it comes to structuring a page or the URL of a page or anything like that at all? Yeah, you'll notice that I'm not the most technically minded, hence why I'll always work with developers. But I'm probably quite a contrary SEO where I believe a lot of technical SEO is BS and a lot of it is overkill. 
So when companies start doing two, three months audits on websites and it's all technical stuff, I'm thinking that's, is that really going to move the needle? Unless you've got a website that's got 100,000 pages and are rebuilding the architecture, then there's so many more quick wins that I've already shared that you can do that's actually going to drive impact on B2B pipeline and traffic and revenue. But yeah, you still want to do the basics, right? So if you've got a website that takes five, 10 seconds to load, you're going to want to sort out your page speed and make sure it loads quickly. You're going to make sure you want to have clean navigation so it's super easy to navigate on your mobile, on your PC. UX is important, right? In SEO, something that's not talked about a lot, user experience. There's no point sending a prospect to even a best-in-class service page, offer page, alternative page, blog article. But if the design looks like a potato, it's just going to cause the prospect to bounce. If it's super cumbersome, if they land on your page and you've just sprung them up with an email sign-up or a lead magnet pop-up two seconds in or a cookie warning or a chatbot, they're just going to flick off, right? You've got to put yourself in the prospect's shoes. Do they want to see this within two seconds of landing on your website? No. So you've got to give them an enjoyable experience. You've got to design. So much of what I talk about is building for your focus clients, understanding what they care about and building out pages to, to match their problems, their pain points, their jobs to be done, their aspirations, their goals and their motivations. And if your design looks awful or you're just forcing all this stuff upon people, they're going to bounce. And that's more UI, UX than technical, but it's still relevant. And of course, you, you can't be afraid to position your offer as a solution. So you've got to have compelling copy and clear call to actions. Yeah, so that that's like just general design conversion rate practices. But a lot of that you want to speak to your prospects, speak to your customers to understand. That could be a separate episode, building website to please target clients. This is more SEO focused, so I don't want to go too off pissed. But yeah, technical SEO, standard things like making sure your meta titles, descriptions, your URLs are on point. So ultimately, if I wanted to rank a page for B2B SEO agency, then the URL is going to be mywebsite.com forward slash B2B hyphen SEO hyphen agency. So URL has got to have the right structure relevant to the page you want to rank. Likewise, your page site on description has got to be relevant to that keyword. Again, heading H1 tags got to be relevant to that main keyword. And then you're following H2, H3s. Again, in the systematic process. Apart from that, apart from general optimizations, technical SEO, in my opinion, gets too overflagged. Yes, you want a sitemap. Yes, you want to do a few other bits and pieces that I haven't laid out. But if you're going overkill with technical SEO and you're neglecting content, like what I find is a lot of technical SEOs are so focused on getting a website technically perfect and scoring 100 on all their software and tools. They just neglect all this content stuff that I've talked about. And most of the time... Google's actually, in my, from my opinion, I've ranked pages that haven't been the best from a technical perspective, but because those, that content has been written with a prospect first, a customer first approach based on what I see on the cold face of sales calls every day, it's just outranked other companies. That's what I'm seeing day to day. So I think get the technical SEO basics by all means and do a good design that's fueled from customer research, but content is, is king when you do it right. So what I'm hearing then is right for the customer first and then Google second. Google's pretty smart. So use the frameworks that you've laid out, write the content that addresses that, and then to please the Google gods, are you then doing a little bit of keyword research around it and then trying to match some of your headings to those searches to, to help it out there? Yeah, yeah. So I'd still do keyword research. So like we talked about a bit earlier in the show, if we're doing if we're starting with our niche keywords, our niche pages that we want to rank, i.e. solution page for industry and that kind of stuff or software for industry, those kind of keywords. 
yeah, we're going to do keyword research. So we're going to make sure it's actually relevant or we might tweak the type of page title or keyword that we're going for. So we're going to tie it up, which has a little bit of search volume. Yeah, so that does come into play. And another thing that I'd probably do is for each of those pages that I'd want to rank, I'd type the keyword into Google. I'd see what was ranking top in organic search now. I'd review that page and I'd look for, I'd make notes. So I'd literally grab out my pen and paper and make notes of every angle that I think that page falls short on and where I can one-up it. So it might be that, I don't know, if you land on a solution page and mostly they've talked about your product, so you're going to dive into a bit more about the problem, the impact of not solving it. Maybe they've only got one testimonial, so you start putting in some nice video testimonials and some more detailed reviews. Maybe you also embed a YouTube video in there and you put a full-on practical walk guide of how to do it. What I found as well, which is another tip, is if you embed YouTube videos, sometimes that in the search results on Google can actually come up as a nice little thumbnail with the article. And not only that, if you do a video walkthrough on the guide that's going after the same keyword, is that video can then rank in the video section. So if you, for UK anyway, George, if you type in B2B website and B2B SEO or B2B SaaS SEO, for some of those, I'm ranking on articles and also ranking in all three videos of the video section. So it's a really nice way to steal a ton of real, real estate and organic search. But yeah, basically that's the skyscraper technique. You literally review what's ranking page one and you look for ways that you can one up that with angles that they haven't covered. With that YouTube video, I noticed that you said that was a, a deadly combination is if you have the well-researched, well-written piece and then a YouTube video on that topic to embed in it, that's a really deadly combination. And that's just something that we have naturally been doing because we do our content around the podcast episode that we did that week. So we try and have a really nice article along with it, yep. the the podcast embedded and the YouTube video embedded. And I noticed that we were starting to rank pretty well for some demand generation terms that pages haven't really been allowed around for very long. And when I saw your LinkedIn post around it, I thought, oh, maybe it's because of what we've been doing there with YouTube. I don't know the exact science behind it, but for me, just like yourself, it seems to work. I, I don't know if it's because with <laughs> Google, like I said, I think it's, it might be because you're offering something a bit extra. It might be the set, the fact that Google own YouTube and they think, Yep, they're embedding more of our own assets. It might be because it's strengthening that expertise and that experience element of EEAT because you're not only having an article, but you're having that extra layer of a video walkthrough that's super relevant to that offer, that page, that solution or whatever. Um, and also the bonus of it is that it gives a chance for prospects to stay in your ecosystem because if you're like me, I can't be asked to read a bunch of long-form pages. If I see there's a YouTube video, I might just click into that, watch it. If I like it, I might subscribe to their content. Or you could do the same with a a podcast in bed or whatever that may be. So a lot of this is giving prospects other way to consume your content and then stay in your ecosystem, which is obviously vitally important in B2B. So I suppose rule of thumb is just try and provide the best experience possible. Video is obviously a, a great way to do that. People like good punchy content. So why not include that on your pages if you have it or try and create your pages with that in mind as well. I want to now circle back to metrics how do we track the success of our seo efforts what should we be looking at you've just got to look at linkedin influencers and see the upward trend graphs of where their blog got hundred thousand views from ai content in two weeks and then give that to your ceo and then he's going to be really happy and probably give you a hundred grand pay rise no i'm kidding i'm kidding so i'll just stick at those those upward trend articles and pages now yeah it's the million dollar question right and ultimately if you're reporting to your ceo your cmo whoever 
they're going to want to see its impact on revenue. So that's why a lot of what I've shared is as tactical as possible to bottom of the funnel that's actually going to drive either qualified sales calls or demo requests. So understanding kind of what prospects search for when they have high intent for your offer or are comparing you against alternatives is, is vital. So you can start capturing those inbound leads as, as soon as possible. So yeah, naturally you want to set up Google Analytics or similar tools so you can report on organic traffic and start saying, look, since we started this SEO campaign, we've seen an uptick in traffic. You can use tools like Hrefs or similar, so you can start reporting on these are our focus keywords around our solutions and our offer and similar. And you can see that we're seeing an uptick in these organic page rankings, which is good. And likewise, the traffic's coming on. But ultimately, you want to start reporting on the inbounds. So as I'm sure you've shared, having how do you hear about us field is good. What's better, how you heard about us field for your calendar form or your inquiry forms, what's better is literally asking them on sales calls. So... A lot of, I don't know if you've seen this, George, but for me, how you've, how did you hear about us field has a lot of flaws. So a lot of people, even though they haven't found us through certain channels, they put them. So like they might say for me, LinkedIn or the podcast or internet, but then I'll ask them on the sales call, like, how did you stumble upon us today? What's your full journey to actually finding us? And they'll say, first, I searched this on Google. Then I listened to your podcast. Then I saw, read some of your stuff on LinkedIn. And then I was ready to book a call. But if you use that first touch, then it's not always going to work. So best to layer it with sales call evidence take the how did you hear about us yeah. field and then also maybe even look into your analytics and then you can piece together the full journey yeah we've experienced something similar like that it can be very helpful and look because we deal with a lot of marketers tend to know that the yeah. plight of attribution and help each other out a little more but any other industry mm-hmm. or like any other person outside of marketing like they're mostly writing internet website like the most unhelpful responses. And that's why all the juice comes from the sales calls. I completely agree with you. And there's so much poor advice around that field. Like people say, how you heard about, how did you hear about us? It's like the ultimate field. There's so much poor advice. And like you say, a lot of people writing that advice are working specifically with MarTech, like marketers, technology people or sellers, which like you say are savvy, but there's so many more industries outside of marketing and B2B for God's sake. So yeah, using sales calls is, is, is vitally important as well as analytic tools. But yeah, ultimately, as soon as you're getting this evidence, i.e. target keywords going up in, in rankings, take a screenshot, drop it into Slack, drop it into a shared Google Drive. However, likewise, traffic's going up an uptick, take screenshots, drop it into a Slack channel, into a shared Google Drive folder. As soon as you see wins, start reporting on them. If you're seeing your some of your key solution pages, your alternative pages, your service pages, your articles, et cetera, start to get page one and top three organic take a screenshot, show your CEO, your CMO. And likewise, once you start getting inbounds, if they did fill out the form or you can see, you can attribute it back to organic search, do that. If you've got Gong, Cora, similar, you've got cool recordings and they say, look, I searched for this as part of the journey. Take snippets of that, put that into the G drive. Everything you can do to show evidence that it's working to your execs, make a recording of it or make a snapshot of it, drop it into a Google Drive or Slack or however you report. And just keep doing progress, keep bumping on what's work, what's working. Like most things in B2B marketing, it's all about getting a feedback loop from your prospects and your customers because that's going to mostly inform the strategy. And then once you start seeing those wins, then double down on what's driving impact. Love it. I think we're very, very closely aligned in a lot of things that we do. And I think we probably also have a bit of frustration at the lack of nuance around some of the conversations happening on LinkedIn. A lot of it is from people who just market to marketers they often have their own agenda 
it can be quite frustrating. Like I see so many people totally discount the role of sales saying that sales doesn't need to exist. Marketing should be able to do everything. And you just think to yourself, have these people either A, run their own business or B, like being responsible for actually driving revenue within an organization? Because I feel like if they were, they wouldn't be saying that. They don't realize, like you say, George, they don't, they spin their own narrative, but a lot of these marketers that are preaching this stuff have either never sold anything in their life or they're just literally saying what they want to say. What they don't realize is, especially in high ticket, B2B companies typically evaluate a few vendors, which you've probably talked about when Ryan Paul Gibson was on the uh, podcast. And when they're doing their research, they're going to make a list of especially high ticket software service solution. They're going to evaluate three or four vendors, whether that one of those comes from Google search, one comes from their peers, one comes from Slack recommendations, whatever. And if you're not in that comparison list, you're not in there. And then, yes, sales have got a bloody difficult job because then they've got to take this time knowing they're stacked up against two or three other vendors. So that's where kind of demand gen or demand creation is so important because you might have built trust before they've ever done that Google search and they might have that bias towards you from your podcast, your YouTube channel, your content on LinkedIn. So it's just there's so much more to it. And a lot of marketers don't realize how tough sales has got it. And I can say that because just like you, George, I'm selling my own services and offers but they could learn so much from doing a day of cold calling or a day of sales calls or understanding what prospects are bringing up like that. So many marketers are clueless. That's why I think the best marketers are often actually people who started out in sales and had a few years in sales and then turned to marketing. I think a lot of marketers are afraid to talk to people and to call them to cold call to just get in front of people. I think we're like, we're so used to being, and I was like this, I'll put my hand up and say, I was absolutely like someone who was like that, that just hid behind their dashboard. It was much easier answering a question with, oh, I don't know, let's test it rather than speaking to someone to find out the answer. Completely agree. Completely agree. I think we're aligned. Okay. Final question. It's such a hot topic. AI, a lot of marketers that I've been speaking to, their budgets are being cut. They're getting pressure from their bosses to do more with less. They often suggest using AI as something that can help them do more with less. Does it have a role in SEO? And if so, where does it play? Yeah, I think it can. I think just don't let it do everything right. So I think it's going to be fine for maybe helping a bit with some keyword research for maybe formulating some of the basic technical SEO. So if you're building out a solution page, let's say it's for your niche service or offer, plus the industry you serve, it might help you with the framework. So it might say, look, this is going to be the rough meta title description. This is going to be the rough H1 and rest of the heading tags that formulate the page. And it might give you a rough structure, like it might analyze the top three organic current number one results. So it might give you some of that data and help you start building a framework for the page. It might even, some of them will write all the copy for you. I'd be hesitant for a few reasons. One, because eventually, not right now, but eventually Google might become sus to kind of stuff that's completely computer generated. But secondly, because it goes against this helpful content update and against EEAT to to show that hands-on expertise and experience and authority in the topic. If you get a computer that's working off historical data to write a copy, how up-to-date is it? How relevant is it to what your prospects care about, want to get done, what's annoying them, what the solutions they, they want to see, that kind of stuff. And if a prospect lands on your page, 
and you've left it to AI and it just says, we 10x this, we supercharge, we're a 360 all-in-one analytical platform to drive your revenue. And it's like, people are now, like you can see so many comments on LinkedIn, you, you become tone deaf to these these phrases, these AI-generated stuff. Like, it's not going to resonate. And a big part of Azure is resonating with your prospects, whether that's their problems, their frustrations, jobs to be done. If you don't resonate, then you don't really get anywhere in B2B. So I think it's, yes, you can use it as a foundation for your framework, but then I think, if you want to rank really well and you want your copy to convert on your pages, then I'd advise getting someone with some expertise to to guide it at least and build it out with your content team. Yeah, sage, evergreen advice, I'd say. For some of our middle of funnel and top of funnel content, we've been feeding the transcripts of our podcast recording, which forms the basis of the article and then have a series of prompts to then pull out a whole lot of direct quotes and just give us like a really good base, which nice. then we'll still go through and edit. I think it takes like a four hour task down to maybe one, one and a half hours, whereas people think it's going to take a four hour task down to five minutes. And yeah. I don't know about you, that's where I feel like a lot of people go wrong with AI. It's just, it's just not there yet, is it? It's just not there yet. And yeah, you can do that. And yeah, a lot of SEOs will show you pictures and screenshots on, on LinkedIn where they've ranked 500 pages in two hours. But what's the real impact? Unless you're an affiliate website or something like that, like why would I want to do that in B2B? Unless I'm doing all these kind of generic information pages for a company like Zoom Info or Lusha, where I just want to do all these generic technical pages for the industries and that kind of stuff. Yeah, it might have a play there, but if I want pages to really resonate, like we've talked about, and actually get high ticket B2B prospects engaged in our offer, trust us, and then eventually become a customer, in my opinion, it's just a waste of time unless you just use it, like you say, for the basis right now. All right. Well, there you have it, listeners. It's largely a waste of time unless it's really informed by the customer solving the problems that they need solved. Sam, you've been so generous with your time. Again, look, I just love your no-nonsense approach to this stuff. It just aligns so well with the frameworks that we speak about. And I just love that it's all so deeply centered around that, that deep understanding of the customer and helping them solve problems, giving them what they want. Before we round out the conversation, is there anything else that you'd like to add or direct our audience's attention to? I think that's... Pretty much it. Yeah. If you've got any questions, I'm on LinkedIn messing around each day. So I'll post daily SEO and website tips. So feel free to connect me there. Also run a B2B marketing podcast where we interview practitioners and I share tips each week. That's breaking B2B. Or if you've perhaps been listening to me drone on and maybe thinking some of this resonates, I tired of seeing competitors above you and organic search stealing inbound opportunity, or maybe your website isn't driving a steady flow of sales calls or demos, then feel free to reach out. It's breakingb2b.com. Beautiful. All right, listeners, we'll link to that in the show notes and on our website as well. Sam's going to get that backlink just like he spoke about. <laughs> it's absolutely fantastic. Make sure you follow his journey. We'll link to him. He's LinkedIn as well. He posts not just once, but three times a day somehow. It's always good stuff. Sam, thank you so much for your time. Cheers, George. Well, that was a bit of a trip down memory lane in some ways for us, wasn't it, George? Talking about all things SEO again. But at the end of the day, it's awesome to see how great SEO these days still seems to align perfectly with our 5Bs framework. And I'm glad to see that leaders like Sam are showing the way from the SEO side as well. 
Yes, SEO is my first love with marketing. It's what really got me into it. And look, I really loved Sam's no-nonsense approach to SEO. It's not based on overly complicated and technical website work. It's still grounded in producing great content that's based on first-hand customer insight, which is something that you and I just don't shut up about. And listeners and viewers, Kevin and I really love these key points from Sam. And the first one is one that we've heard a lot of from Lachey. We've spoken about it ourselves. And it's about working your way up the funnel, especially when it comes to SEOs. Start with niche, detailed pages that's actually going to have a revenue impact. And once you're done with that, then start to move onto those generic industry terms. And if you don't have that solid recurring revenue yet, then SEO is probably not something worth pursuing just yet. So that was a very interesting part of the conversation where Sam really talked us through when SEO should be more of a focus for a business. And to our delight, he also said not to bother too much with SEO tools and technical SEO, particularly at the beginning. Get the foundations in place for sure, but focus on that customer research and insights to build great content that's actually helpful because that's the stuff that is really going to move the needle once you have those very technical, very simple foundations in place. All right, listeners, go and find Sam Dunning on LinkedIn and check out the Breaking B2B podcast. And as always, Kevin and I are just so stoked that more and more of you joining us every Monday by listening to the podcast or watching us on YouTube. And if we could ask one thing, it would be to please pass the show into someone who would get value from it or do us one better and leave us a short review on whatever platform it is that you listen or watch on. It's a huge help to us. It's a great help to our future listeners and we really, really appreciate it. A huge thank you to Sam again. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, listeners and viewers. Take care and catch you next week. Thanks, everyone. Take care and catch you all next week. A quick note before you go, listeners, you can find more great content and get in touch with us at theb2bplaybook.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter while you're there to get the latest news, tips, and resources from our playbook. We'll be back the same day and same time with another episode next week. Thanks for tuning in to the B2B Playbook. Remember, successful B2B marketing starts with the buyer.